Welcome back to the Board Game Battles podcast. Uh, today we're going to be discussing two games that are based around time travel. Uh, games that use uh, time looping as a sort of central way of uh, solving them. We're going to be discussing Tragedy Looper and comparing that to Time Stories. And then afterwards, we may have a bit of an Imperial Assault discussion. There's not much to talk about right now, so we'll probably just briefly mention it a bit and, and, and some of our thoughts of what's going on. Um, and then maybe even talk a little bit about uh, Arcadia Quest. We've started a new campaign there, so we can maybe just give a little bit of lip service to that. But um, that's for after our, our discussions. So to start, uh, we're going to talk about Tragedy Looper. It is the first to have come out, even though in North uh, in North America it hasn't been out quite as long. It's probably been out maybe just before Time Stories came out, because Time Stories came out in 2015, and Tragedy Looper came out um, right around the same time um, in North America. In North America, yeah. I'm talking it about came out in America. 2011, but he yeah. didn't release it here until 2014. Nice. Yeah, that's right. Uh, that's right. So, <laughs> um, so Tragedy Looper came out in, originally came out in 2011, in uh, I believe in Japan, uh, designed by Baka Fire. I don't know his real name. That's just the name he goes by. When you look at his uh, collection of games that he's released, it's mostly Tragedy Looper and expansions and or um, scenarios for Tragedy Looper. But then sprinkled in there, he has a few other games, uh, Code of Nine, um, which I do own, but I haven't had a chance to try yet. Um, something called Ruinous, Aristomaze, Ride the Master, and Secura Arms. Those are a few of his other uh, non-Tragedy Looper titles. Uh, artists for Tragedy Looper um, go by Basku, and there's a Ray Kono. Publishers um, in North America, I believe it's mostly Z-Man games, which have been bought out, and it's no longer Z-Man games. I'm not sure what they're going by now, but the new company is, um, it was bought out by, I believe, Asmodee. So it's probably going to be under one of their titles, if I'm not mistaken, but I could be wrong. Mechanisms, uh, grid movement, memory, and partnerships is what they list as mechanisms on Board Game Geek. I threw in deduction because it's very much a uh, deduction style game where you're trying to figure out what's going on. And you're finding out that Z-Man Games was purchased by... Um, surprisingly, this isn't up to date. Oh, okay. Because I know... Uh, Z Zed of Z-Man Games, he went on to work for, I, I could have swore it was um, Asmodee, but I'm not 100% sure on that now. If you know, let us know. Uh, BGG rating, uh, 7.4 from 2.7 thousand ratings. It looks like it was Asmodee. It was Asmodee. Men it mentions Asmodee when you do a search for them. Okay. But uh, as of the day, has been sort of buying a lot of the smaller publishers, so it, it, it kind of makes sense. So it doesn't surprise me. Um, so let's get into some of the different things about Tragedy Looper. Rule book. You actually get two rule books in this one. Um, as opposed to Time Stories, where it's a completely cooperative game, and we'll discuss it when we get to it, Tragedy Looper is a one versus many game. You have one person who is the mastermind, uh, versus all the players who are the uh, the loopers uh, or the jumpers or however you want to say it. Um, 
so you get the mastermind has its own has its own little handbook and the players have a handbook and there's a bit of crossover between the two um like a lot of the main rules are within the player's handbook the mastermind's book does cover some of the main rules but it's mostly for scenarios and um and that kind of thing and giving you a guide on how to run um the campaign uh, the stories in and starting you out with the intro story and taking you uh, through it and how you should run it for a, a new group in the player's handbook you'll find all the main rules and how to play the game the the books are nicely laid out uh, in a graphic design sense but they're not the most uh, friendly uh, when you're trying to go through them and learn the game it is a uh, it's quite a bit to go through there's a lot of a uh, lot of pages a lot of text and you know until you actually um, play through the game it it a lot of it doesn't really fall into place right away so it is a bit of a slog to get through um, they're still nicely laid out uh, I did find uh, too much in in ways of translation problems you know considering that he's uh, originally Japanese and he it's a game that's been brought over from there you would you know sometimes you'd expect there to be a lot of um, language barrier like lang language issues where something just doesn't make sense based on how they translated it but whoever um, did the translations uh, did a fairly good job with that so I would say that it um, they were you know fairly successful with that now I think that comes down to Z-Man games and uh, the people that they use for this because uh, they did their job they didn't um, cut any corners it doesn't seem so other than that um, component wise it um, it's a game that has not necessarily a, a player board but it has a, a bunch of little boards uh, each each little board represents a location that you'll be visiting um, along with the player boards there's a, a counter kind of like a, a track where you keep track of um, how many days there are in a loop you'll um, keep track of uh, how many loops there are in a particular scenario you're doing so you typically have you know a scenario could be anywhere from usually three to four or five or more loops that you have to try to solve it um, there's also uh, you can keep track of some additional um, variable type uh measurements i guess you could say so what it is is if, if a scenario has a special um something that you need to keep track on that's not one of the typical ones there's there is like a, a counter thing for that so you can keep track of various things um it also keep has like a little guide on what to do on or each day like how how each day should play through that's sort of on that track other than that you get a bunch of um counters for various things there's counters that represent um health uh there's counters that represent paranoia there's also um goodwill you know i say health but there may not be health no i was trying no. to remember it's either they're dead or not dead. that's right yeah either they're dead or not so it's not health it's goodwill paranoia and intrigue are the, some of the main counters and then there's a few other counters you can use depending if the um, if the scenario needs it or not. And then other than counters, you have a bunch of cards. And the cards are um, mostly uh, people that you'll be encountering um, at the location. So each each person, each character will have a little card for them for wherever they are 
in the scenario, each looper and in the ma- and the mastermind have their own almost it's not almost like a deck. It's like a hand hand of cards that they'll be uh, drawing from and, and playing. Not drawing as in picking up to use, but like choosing from. I should say choosing from and playing. Um, all the different loopers have the same cards. Uh, so there's no difference between any of their decks, just they have a special symbol on the uh, back of them so that they remember whose card is whose when it's been played. And the the Mastermind, his deck is similar, or his hand is very similar, but it has a few extra cards that are Mastermind-specific, um, but follow the same kind of thing. And so how it works is, in this game, you're, you've, uh, you found out about a, a tragedy, and you have to go back in time and try to prevent it. And every time, each, like I said, each scenario will have so many loops that you have to try and to try and figure out what's going on. And how it works is each scenario has a number of plot points you're trying to figure out what's happening. There's the main plot, and there's a few, and there's a, a sheet. Everyone will have their own sheet that they can reference that has a list of various plots who's involved in those plots, the different um, uh, character uh, roles that are involved in those plots, sometimes special um, abilities or or powers that will happen, not necessarily powers, but special um, actions. actions and stuff that will happen during a scenario that you can potentially trigger, especially if you're the mastermind. And then along with the main plots, there are a few, there are subplots. When you're doing the um, the intro scenario, they just say you have a main plot and a, one subplot, and that's it. And again, with the subplots, they're very similar to a main plot. It'll indicate what roles are available in the subplot, and um, and any particular actions that are related to that subplot. So the the sheet, which have plots and subplots, also have um, an area for roles. So it d- describes what each role is. Um, so to give you an example, uh, in the main plot, there's one called Murder Plan. And the Murder Plan, there's the key person, there's a killer, and there's someone called the Brain. And for plot rules, there's nothing listed. For subplots, there's Shadow of the Ripper. Uh, there's one called An Unsentling Rumor. There's also a, a Hideous Script. And in the, um, the basic version of the game, there's only a few listed of each. In Shadow of the Ripper, there's a conspiracy theorist and a serial killer and no plot rules. But if I go to an, an unsettling rumor, there's a conspiracy theorist, no other additional roles, but then there's plot rules for the mastermind where he has the special ability he can do at, um, at the end of each day. Um, and then the different roles, if you're the key person, um, if there's a key person, which um, a couple of the main plots have, if that character ever dies then the protagonists lose the loop and it ends immediately and then you have to reset and start again. Um, there's one called a killer. If he um, is ever in the same location as the key person and has at least two intrigue on him, the key person will die. Uh, or no, if the key person has at least two intrigue on him, then he'll die if he's in the same location as the killer. There's the serial killer. Um, if, if somebody is in a location with the serial killer, and it doesn't matter who that person is, they will die um, at the end of the day. Um, and then there's like the friend. And it's like the friend of the key person, if he's around, if that person ever uh, 
dies, then you know you reveal that they're that they've died or whatever, and it, it considered it's also considered a lost condition. So there's various roles that are involved involved with each scenario, and they'll have different ways they affect the scenario. So each scenario will have a number of different people in it. Some of them may or may not have a special role. Uh, it is also incidents. Um, when you look at the the track that shows you the different days, the scenario will tell you if there's a special incident for any particular day. So say your your loop will have, say, five days in the loop. You might have three of those days where nothing spe- special will happen, but then one day might have that there is a an uh, incident like a suicide. Someone might potentially commit suicide on that day if conditions are right. Or it might be that um, somebody else could die on, on a special incident. So the scenario will let you know if there's special incidents and what day they could potentially happen. And so the protagonists have to be careful on those days when they're trying to maneuver things around to make sure that those incidents don't trigger. And so what happens is the, the protagonists jump back and start their uh, their first loop and try to determine um, what's happening. Um, who's the, the key person, if there is one, try to determine um, who all is involved and what causes them to lose a loop. Uh, at any point during a, um, one of the days in a loop, if they, uh, if you know something happens that causes them to lose, it'll reset, and they'll have so many loops to try to figure out what's going on and try to stop it before the, uh, the scenario is over. If the mastermind can stop them from you know, saving or preventing what, what needs to be stopped happening, um, <laughs> then uh, the mastermind essentially wins. In the, uh, in the basic scenario, the very first one you start with, uh, that would basically end the game. In a regular scenario, if you get through all the loops and the protagonists haven't won, they have a one last chance to try to guess um, what is happening, like who all the different roles are. And if they're correct, then they pull out a win. Um, so other things that happen is when you're playing this game, how does how you affect things are with cards. So like as I mentioned, all the, um, all the protagonists, all the players have a hand of cards. The cards are things like, the cards are uh, paranoia plus one, paranoia minus one, goodwill plus one, goodwill um, plus two, forbid intrigue, movement, vertical movement, horizontal, and forbid movement. So what happens is um, each day, each player gets to play one card. The mastermind starts by playing... Uh, three cards and those cards can be played either on characters that are on the board or on locations Um, the only thing that can be played on a location by a mastermind um, and resolve are intrigue cards so where they increase the intrigue of a location but a mastermind can play anything he wants on a location it just nothing will happen unless it's a increased intrigue Um, players then Uh, can play cards after the mastermind's done anywhere that a mastermind has played a card. I think that's it, isn't it? They can only play where mastermind is played. Only on locations. Uh, They can play on any character they want. That's right. So players can play on any character that they want. 
uh, no more than one card on a character. So players can't both, you know, multiple players can't put a card on the same character. Only one card per player on a character ever or whatever. Um, and then they can only play on a, on a location if the mastermind is played on the location to try to prevent him from potentially increasing the intrigue. Um, certain things can happen. Each um, character, and the characters range from, like, schoolgirl, schoolboy, what? This might have been a good time to talk about how they can't talk to each other when deciding. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, the different uh, characters range from, like, schoolgirl, schoolboy, businessman, nurse, doctor. Um, there's, like, a, a shrine, maiden... Um, patient patient so there's all these different characters and they'll have starting locations they'll start on the board in certain locations like the hospital in the city in the shrine or in the school and each um, character has um, goodwill that they can have um, put towards them so whenever you play a goodwill card on that card that character it'll increase their goodwill and then if their goodwill gets to a certain point they'll have special abilities they can trigger if they if they've met the goodwill requirement, so as you're playing all these different cards, um, you're going to increase goodwill, uh, paranoia, in, and intrigue can increase, which can cause certain um, incidents to potentially happen, and um, and the mastermind and you can move people around, trying to get them positioned in ways that the mastermind's trying to position people so that they might be in a position where they could get killed off or or something can trigger for one of his. Um, win conditions and the people are trying and the players are trying to stop whatever they can like by maneuvering people with their cards uh, i know i'm not describing this the best it is a for a simple game the mechanics can be quite convoluted a little bit so i, I do admit it is a hard game to try to des- describe especially just on a podcast like this there are definitely really good videos on youtube for, um, for how to play this game and, and even taking you through the first scenario. So if you're planning on running one of those uh, one of these games, um, I do recommend checking those out because uh, they'll do a lot better job than I can trying to explain this. But um, that that's essentially how the game is. Um, one of the things I have to mention is that when you're playing cards on... Uh, when the players are playing the cards on the characters, they're not allowed to discuss who's what's who's playing what um and one of the reasons for that is one of the cards that players can play is a forbid intrigue card and so what happens is if you play the forbid intrigue the um and the uh the mastermind is trying to increase intrigue you, they sort of cancel each other out but if multiple players play forbid intrigue at the same time then the two forbid intrigues will cancel themselves out and the mastermind's intrigue will go th- go through, so that's that's sort of the reason behind um, players are not allowed to to talk to each other while they're playing cards. Well, I think it's also a complexity mechanic where yeah. it would be way too easy of a game if the players were able to communicate. That's right. It would be. It'd be much much easier for the players if they could just discuss. Okay, let's do this, 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 and this, and then play their cards. Absolutely. And much less fun. And, yeah, and much less fun. That's and right. less frustrating. And less frustrating. <laughs> um, but yeah, again, essentially, that's the game. You're manipul- um The players are the they they travel back in time, but they don't possess anybody. They're just trying to influence the characters that are on the board and trying to keep you know things from happening so that the mastermind wins. 
trying to ma- keep the mastermind from meeting his goals in one successful loop. So if you get to a point where you've done that in one loop, then you win. If you've gone through all your loops and you haven't done that, the mastermind potentially wins unless the players have figured out all the different roles and can recite all you know who is what role. And if they get any of it wrong, they lose. Um, so that's essentially <laughs> Tragedy Looper. It's really, like I said, it's a, it's a hard game to describe, especially just um, orally without visual um, clues to show you um, what's going on. That's why I really do recommend going to YouTube and checking it out. Um, we played... Uh, we recently, there's the four of us, it was Jeff, myself, Anik, and Tara. Um, we went through... Uh, the base scenario where I was the mastermind and everyone was um, uh, the players. And you won that one. Yeah. But to be fair, won. that was the second time we had gone through that one because it had been months between It had been playing. months between. And we wanted to just sort of play the base one again as a refresher. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, you did win that one. And, and like you said, yeah, we think we played it before. I know I made you watch a video on how to play it once before as well. So there's that as well. Um, and then we went through and played a second time with a harder scenario, like probably one of the harder, like. I think it was a four star. It was a four star. A possible 10. Um, or is it only like six or something? Uh, one, two, three, four. Out of eight. Eight. Okay. So a four out of eight. And if you look at these scenarios that come in the base game, um, there are some that go all the way to eight. So we were playing like a medium hard one, I guess. Difficulty medium, I would say. And you switched masterminds. And as we well. switched masterminds. We made Jeff the mastermind through that one um, so that he could get an idea of what it's like. And, but we did play it on the harder difficulty. So uh, some of these um, scenarios will have two versions. Um, or was it the yeah the two versions um, based on like if you do it you can give yourself four loops or three loops yeah, three loops is harder than four so it increases the difficulty a little bit and we were playing that particular one on the harder of the two so we had less time to try to figure it out and I think one more loop would have been easy because you guys we at, were figuring things out at the yeah. end you were off by one roll that's and right. it was like a twenty five percent chance for you guys to guess it right. Who had the who had the role? We we had it down to yeah. Between it was two just pe- like oh, who was the friend people. or something like that. Yeah, right. and you had it down to p- between four people, and you made an educated guess that was close, but not not close enough. Not close no. enough. That's right. Yeah. So and part of the reason that we let Jeff be um, the mastermind on the second try is that he expressed. Frustration. Frustration. Yes, frustration right. as being a player in this game. So, Jeff, well, why don't you tell us how it felt being on both ends? The co-op aspect of it is exceptionally difficult when you cannot communicate. Like, at one point, if I was in complete control of the three characters and what we could do, it we would have won in the second loop of the basic scenario, like the first intro scenario. True. But yeah. I couldn't. And I gave hints without outright saying, <laughs> but Tara didn't know there was a specific card that could be played, and I think it was the no movement card or something like that. Right? Yeah. The is it the uh, mastermind Forbidden who movement? has that card? Forbidden movement. It might be. There are, and I didn't mention there are some cards that can only be played once per loop. So, at the end of each day, when you've played your cards, you get your hand back, 
unless it has a uh, once per loop symbol on it, meaning you, you don't get it back until you've either, you know, after you failed the loop and then you go to a new loop, then you get those cards back. So whichever um, card this was, she didn't even realize it was in her hand. So she didn't understand. Was it a mastermind only card? No, no, it wasn't. It was one that we could all play because both you and I played it. Oh, that's right. Yeah, and it's a... she didn't know she had it until she saw us play it, and then she's like, "Oh, yeah, mm. yeah, true." And then the yeah. last playthrough, because she then had her full card ha- hand, was a lot easier. Yeah, because she knew she could prevent certain actions from happening to characters. Right. So it was just. When you're trying to cooperate to stop something from happening, not being able to discuss while it's going on can be really difficult. Right. But as the mastermind, when you flip sides, you can see why it's set up that way. Because it would be significantly easier, like just probably too easy for any of the scenarios to actually pull out a victory. So... I understand it, but it's frustrating being that side of it. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I know I get it. And I could see it too when I was the mastermind, even though it was an easier intro scenario, you could see um, you have a bit more, you have a lot more control for moving things around and try to manipulate things when the other players can't discuss how they're going to change things around. You do get a little bit of discussion in between playing cards, like after you've done playing cards and before, like as things are progressing. But even then, it's a bit tough. It's more trying to discuss who you think who might be. What the roles are. What the roles might be. What the storyline is, too. Like, what the main story plot is and what the subplots are. Because the players are trying to figure out, yeah, what's your main plot? And if this is the main plot, okay, then we have these roles we have to consider. And, and And what can give some of that away is, as the mastermind, at the end of each day, so after everyone's played their cards, you resolve all the cards. Then the mastermind can trigger any actions that come up. So if there's a particular um, plot or or role in play that allows the mastermind to do an optional um, action, then he can try to trigger those and do things. Like there's one that lets you um, add intrigue to a person or a place um, if that person if that particular role is in play. It's not at the end of the day though, is it? Well, it's sort of it's part of. Yeah, it's, it's getting close to the end of the day. It's after cards are played, then the mastermind does his abilities. Um, then whoever the, each each day you um, you have a leader. Is it each run or each loop or is it each day? Each day. Each I day is a different it leader. I think so. It does. It does yeah, flip. Each day. Yeah, each day there's um, one of the th- one of the players is the leader. Um, so after the mastermind triggers any potential abilities he wants to, the leader can trigger any goodwill abilities that have. Um, met their goodwill requirements on the, on the different characters that are on the board. Um, if there's an incident for the day, the incident happens. Uh, then you switch leaders, and then there's also like a day end night phase where if there's specific day end effects, uh, those can get triggered at that point as well. And then you go to the next day um, and trigger any effects that could happen at the start of the day. And each day, it is the leader who gets to play first. That's so right. So if someone who isn't the leader this time has a wonderful strategy, you know, and plan for everything, uh, it might get screwed up right away when the leader, you know, Whoever has to, is play, the leader for the decides day. to play something completely different on the character that, you know, they were planning on playing on. Yeah. From playing. Yeah. So it, it does, there is a level of frustration as the players when, you, when you're not able to discuss who's, who should play what, where, 
you're just hoping that everyone's sort of on the same page and and going to play things. I mean, it doesn't always work out that way, but well, and like the first loop, it, I'm not going to say it's a guaranteed loss, but it, it's going to be pretty difficult because yeah. you don't know who you need to protect if a wind condition is putting like intrigue on a location. Right. It, yeah. It, it's pretty hard to stop without knowing that that's a lose condition right at the beginning. Yeah. But once you as the masterminds start revealing what the loss conditions are, it becomes exceptionally difficult to actually get through mm-hmm. and prevent the players from figuring everything out at the same time. Like when I was the mastermind, the first time I killed someone, it was like it gave away that there was someone that was like a key person because right. someone died. And you guys figured out fairly quickly that it wasn't a key person. It was a condition that made someone like a key person. Yeah, there was a special um, a special role in the in the main game called the factor. Yeah. The factor. And yeah. there's a condition, like if a certain um, set of circumstances are in play, that person becomes like a key person. So if they die, then it ends the loop just like a regular key person would. So by that, you guys figured out, I think it was the main plot pretty quickly yeah and then one of the subplots and then the second loop through you were doing a good job of preventing the way i wanted to end it so i ended it a different way which mm-hmm. gave away the rest of the story so then it was trying to figure out which of the characters were each role yeah so the easiest way for me to win in the third time to end the day would have given everything away and you guys would have won on the guest portion right so i had to try and be creative to end it in a way that didn't reveal the last role. Yeah, yeah. And that is exceptionally hard because even without communicating, you know what the two loss conditions are to begin with. So, I, like I said, I can see why the communication is limited because at that point, by the third loop, if you guys already all know exactly what needs to be stopped. Yeah, we had a good, good idea of what everything was and, and what was going on. Right, yeah. And it's just... If I would have been able to kill the friend, I believe it was, mm-hmm. what that was the last person you needed to identify. And it was also the last way I could end the scenario differently than the previous two. So I had to come up with ways to kind of maneuver things around to try and make the a same loss condition previously happen without right. letting yeah. you guys get through the day preventing the tragedy from happening. And, so. try, and, and stopping us from... Narrow, like nailing down who the who friend, the friend was. was exactly because the friend wasn't the friend's actual like ruling or condition was that if they died they had they, to tell you exactly, exactly who they I were. I had to tell you right? it was a friend and it was the only role you didn't know. Yeah. What are the odds of that? Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. it was kind of a no win situation there for me. Mm-hmm. But I think there was just one simple mistake that you guys made that allowed me to fulfill the previous win condition so that i didn't have to reveal the friend but even then you had a 25 percent chance of coming away with victory so yeah but yeah. we had no idea who the friend was well, well we actually to guess. <laughs> you guys we did you well, you yeah. did it was one of like three people you guys had figured it out you, you actually had figured it out because mm. you went to the story which i think was important yeah. you went to the story and said because the the storyline had to do with a cultist and her friend Right, right. And you had figured out who the cultist was, but at one point, one of you said, well, it's this person because it makes sense. Yeah. And it was the right person. No. And then you're like, well, there's four people. Then you you kind of went away from it. And then you're like, okay, so 
it, it can be one of these four and then you just guessed outright and i was like you you'd logically figured it out based from the story and then we threw logic to and the then you, yeah then you threw it away and went okay well, let's let's guess yeah and it turned out to be wrong it turned out to be wrong and we lost yeah uh yeah so um yeah that's tragedy looper um it is it's a good game it's a it's a very um it's a very deduction style game where you're going through trying to figure out what's what so um, I do enjoy it, um, and we'll you know after we talk about time stories, then we'll discuss how we uh, you know how they compare against each other. But uh, that's tragedy duper. So now we're going to move on to time stories. Um, as we've sort of mentioned before, came out in 2015. Designers, there's two designers, uh, Peggy Chassinet and Manuel Rosoy. Um, when you look at their credits, uh, this is the only credit that Peggy has. This is the first thing she's worked on. And Manuel, same thing. He's only um, done time stories um, along with the base game. He's also done a couple of the scenarios. He did the scenario of Prophecy of Dragons and Under the Mask, uh, the fantasy one and the Egyptian one. Uh, along with that, there's also a couple other scenarios that have been released officially. And there's a, there's more coming out there. I know they were originally trying to get it so that they were doing, I think it was, I think the original plan was one per quarter, but it, it almost seems like that they got down to like one every half a year kind of thing. That seems to be how they're hitting the stores. Um, the first scenario that came out after the base set was the Marcy case, which was a, a zombie themed one. And then the last one that's come out so far is Expedition Endurance. We haven't played that one yet, so we don't fully know what it's about yet. But we're looking forward to it. We're looking it. forward to it, yeah. <laughs> Again, it was the four of us, uh, myself, Jeff, uh, Nick, and Tara, and we've been doing all these scenarios together. It's very much a game, and, uh, and people have um, uh, made this comparison before online, that it's it's almost like a, an escape room in a way. It's a kind of game where you'll play through a scenario, and then you won't go back to that scenario. Because once you've played it, you you know how it works. You know all its secrets, and there's no point. It it just wouldn't, there's no point in going through it again. You'd really have to leave it for a long time to not remember the the, the specific aspects of the scenario. Because you start playing it again and remember, oh yeah, this 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 and this are what's happening. Um, so that's the kind of game it is. It's a it's a game where you're playing through scenarios, and you're only ever going to do those scenarios once. Um, so going on with the rest of the, the details, the artists involved, um, there's a few different artists, Ben Kerr, Vincent Dutrait, David Lacuso, and Pascal Quidult. Um, publishers, Space Cowboys, Asmodee, Asterian Press, a bunch of few different ones out there. Um, Space Cowboys is, and Asmodee are the two main for North America. Mechanisms, Cooperative Play. Dice rolling, role playing, storytelling, time track, variable player powers, and voting. Quite a few different mechanisms in there for, for this game. And the BGG rating is 8.0 from 11,000 ratings. So pretty high up there. People really, uh, really enjoy it. So the fact that you can ever play a scenario once doesn't seem to um, neg negatively affect the rating. People don't seem to mind that. And... If you know that going into the into the game, I think you'll get a lot more out of it than if you don't know anything about this game. You play it and then realize you'll never play that scenario again. You might have a different um, 
a different opinion of it at that point. What do they mean by voting? Well, you know, when you rate a game, like whenever you rate a game on BGG, like it's, I, I like this game, I give it an eight. No, no, no. they're saying in the mechanisms that's yeah. the, oh voting. voting. Yeah. It might be for maybe certain time, certain things where um, you have well, to. Well, we we do decide where we're going next. Yeah, that stuff. might be the voting. That might be the voting, but there's no game mechanic. Yeah, maybe? not an enforced. I can't game think mechanic. of an enforced voting mechanic either. So that might be a bit of a stretch, the whole voting thing. But there you go. Um, the rule book. Uh, it's a good rule book. And I got a kitty in my hand, so it's going to make things difficult. Uh, really nicely laid out design. Um, it doesn't have a lot of rules to explain either. <laughs> there's not, this is one thing thing what this game is. Um, it's not an overly complex game. And it... Um, <laughs> And the things you need to know are usually explained in your new expansion cards, right? Um, somewhat, yeah. So the base game, what, what, how they originally envisioned this was you would buy the uh, the base set without a scenario. And it, it, it's like the console, they call it. And it gives you all the components you need to play the game. Um, all the pieces, the main board, um everything you need to play the scenarios. And then they were going to sell the scenarios separately. But then, you know, it, it was, you know, they made the decision that, well, you know, a lot of people have a problem just buying a game that you can't, can't actually play until you purchase a scenario. And so that's why they bundled the first scenario with it. And the first scenario is called Asylum. Um, and, you know, whatever reason, that, that's fine. Um it just means that whenever anybody who buys this game is always going to have the Asylum scenario because you're never going to get rid of the base game. You're not going to be able to trade away Asylum because everyone has everyone it. will have it. So you just have that scenario. And you can always lend it out to people so they can play it. So that's always something you can do. Um, but anyway, I was going over the rule book. Uh, the rule book is nicely laid out, very graphical, um, gives you good um, good pictures of what everything is, how to set things up. It goes through and describes, you know, fairly well on how to how to play the game, how it's laid out. Now we're going to try to avoid. Um, and it should be fairly easy to avoid spoilers in this uh, discussion about it. Um, just we won't talk about um, specifics with scenarios. We'll just talk about the general gameplay of it. Um, but the the rule book it goes through and it, it quite well lays out how to play the game. So I can't. You know, I don't really find anything to fault with it. Um, I know there have been times where I've had to look through the book and try to find a specific rule. Um, and luckily, the book's not huge, so it doesn't take too long to find it. Um, so I, I, I wouldn't say there's anything um, uh, poorly laid out. Uh, there is even a nice at the very back where it has like a, a area that has all the different biographies of the different uh, designers and artists. There's a, there's a little section of rules you'll forget. So they know that there's a lot, even though it's a fairly simple game, there's going to be things you're going to forget or do wrong. And there's just a little bit of a cheat sheet there of what to remember. Um, so that's the, the book. Uh, Component-wise, it's um, fairly standard components. It's got a board that um, you, uh, you lay out, and that's going to be it's what they call the console. It has an area to put all the different cards you'll be using. Because each scenario is essentially just a big deck of cards. Um, they're not standard. They're almost like tarot-sized cards, I would say, tarot-sized. Um, so each scenario has a big deck of tarot-sized cards. And 
the console has different locations for different types of cards that you'll you'll separate out as you're um, as you're going through. It'll, it'll tell the scenario will tell you where to put different cards. Um, usually, there's like a a bunch of items, so there'll be an area on the console to put the items. Um, there'll be a, a set of locations that you'll that you'll be um, all visiting throughout the uh, the playthrough, and so you'll have you put all the locations in one one section. There'll be a map. Each uh, scenario has like a central map that will go up in one corner of the console that you'll place up there, so you can decide where you're going to go, um, which locations you're going to visit. There's a time track, so it'll tell you where to set the time track. Um, and I think that's items. essentially it. Yeah, I mentioned items. Oh, okay. And then there's a few general locations um, at the top that'll be for special. special special cards or special things that you might have to run into. Uh, but everything's really good quality. Like um, all the all the cardboard chits are fairly, you know, there's a lot of different cardboard chits that can represent different things. There's like four different colored chits that the scenario will tell you what color represents what. Um, each player has little wooden um, player pieces to represent um, where their character is at. Um, and there's like a smaller version and a bigger version. And the smaller one you sort of keep with you just to, so you remember what color you are. I don't know how much of a problem that is usually, but... That's also used when you die. That's true, it is. The little one is used when you die. If if, if your receptacle dies during a, a, a jump or during a loop, then you'll be moved up on the time track. And then when the time track, the time counter catches up to you, you sort of regenerate back in. Um, so yeah, it is used for that purpose as well. Um, and yeah, there's, and there's dice. There's, um, six wooden dice. They have a few different sides to them. Horrible, um, horrible dice. Horrible, horrible dice. <laughs> uh, the dice have, I think a couple blank sides. One blank, two skulls, oh, there we go. two single success and one double success. Right. Yeah. Um, which you'll be using for challenges. So I guess we'll just get into gameplay here because that's essentially where we're at. Um, what happens is you start with your scenario, and the very first location is your, um, you're in the future, and it's your staging area. So you're you're sort of you go through and read the different cards in order. There's um, each location will be made up of one, two, six different cards, and for the staging area, it's like your your their jump chamber, and you're talking to your controller. Well, and there's also um, this. She's the computer that you talk to as well. There's a um, I can't remember what her name is. Is it Lisa? Is it Lisa? I wanted to say it started with an S, but Mm. Uh, I guess she wasn't very memorable. Yeah, I I just remember the jerk that yells at you every time because he. Bob. Yeah, Bob. Bob. See names. (laughs) Yeah, there's Bob. Um, So typically in the staging area, there's going to be Bob. He's like the the guy who's who's sort of your boss, I guess. He's he's getting you prepped for the mission. Um, there's the computer, which has a name, which... And I think it is Laura or something like that, isn't it? Something like that. Yeah, it yeah, might Laura be. It might be Laura, Laura, actually. That does sound familiar. Could be. Uh, so there's the computer, who's Laura. Um, but we'll you'll go through... Laura. We'll call her Laura. <laughs> if we're wrong, then uh, it'd be someone else. If we're um, wrong, just tell us. Just let us know, yes. <laughs> or we'll, we'll realize it when we're reading through the rules again. But... Um, you read through each person takes turns and you read through the different cards of the of the staging area and it'll tell you about the scenario you're about to go into it'll give you um 
a description of what the different chits mean, like what they represent in the scenario. And um, that it pretty much gets you prepped up, tells you, you know, what what your end goal is, what, what you're trying to prevent or try to find, and that kind of thing. So when you jump in, you have some idea of what you're doing, even though you may not know what order you have to do things yet. So you'll jump in. Um, there'll be a number of different receptacles, and that's different people that you can jump into. So in this in this way, this game is sort of like Quantum Leap. You're jumping and taking over a person um, in, in, in the past um, for this particular mission. And because now that they've introduced all these different types of scenarios where it could be like a fantasy scenario or it could be something else, they don't necessarily always take place on Earth. They can sort of take place... Well, like alternate versions of Earth. They could be alternate stuff. versions of Earth. It could be alternate realities or whatever. And in, in the end, I don't know if I'm giving anything away here, but I might be actually. I won't say too much. Um, so you're, you're basically jumping in and, and trying to resolve this scenario. Um, and you'll probably do it in multiple loops. So this is where this game can take quite a while to play um, because the first loop is quite often going to be trying to figure, you know, trying to get some idea of what's going on. Um, and then you'll probably be doing a second loop for sure and more than likely a third, maybe even fourth loop. And and yeah. that's because we're usually running out of time. Yes. Oh, yeah, because time is a big thing. Um, how the game is, you, you choose a receptacle and you'll jump into the first location. There's always like a beginning location for each of these scenarios. You'll choose your receptacle and you get a little card that describes your your... your Essentially, your character, um, their strength, their weaknesses, um, any any kind of special abilities they might have, anything they might start with equipment-wise, um, will be on your card. And you might have to take some chits to represent some of this stuff to begin with. Um, between loops, you can change things up. Sometimes there might be more. Like um, It's a four-player game, so... There's usually at least four receptacles. Sometimes there'll be more, though. So you I might... think only Prophecy of Dragons, if I'm remembering correctly, had, had more? more than four. I thought the first one did, too, though. I thought the Asylum one had more than oh, maybe just four did, basic yes. ones. That one was so long ago. I forgot about yeah. it. Yeah. So, but a few of the others only had, like, four. So, but you can change things up. So, let's say someone else wants to play the character you're playing and you want to try something else, you can. Um, so that, you know, you do have a bit of um, options there. But you'll jump into your character. Um, you'll start in a specific starting location. Um, each location is made up of ser um, several cards, which you'll lay out when you um, get to that location. And what happens is you choose where your character is going to be. So each person will choose one of the cards at that location, and multiple people can go to the same card. You'll each take the card you're um, in front of, where your character is, is located at, read it, and then potentially resolve something or get a piece of information. You can relay to the other people what your card says, but you're not supposed to do it verbatim. You're supposed to sort of paraphrase it. So you're not you know, just reading the card out loud. You're supposed to give them a general idea of what's happening at your card. Sometimes the card will have a challenge that you'll have to um, get through in order to um, resolve it. And sometimes those challenges will lock you into the card, meaning you can't leave until you resolve that challenge. It could be a fight. It could be trying to pick a lock. It could be something like that. And each challenge will have a number of uh, shields associated with it. Um, and there's three different types of shields. 
three or four different types of shields. Um, there's a, a blank shield, so um, it just represents you have to get you know roll the number of dice, get successes to get rid. For all of this, you're rolling these dice, and for every success, you're getting rid of a shield of your challenge. The number of dice you're rolling is usually dependent upon like a stat. One of, one of your stats it could be like an agility stat, it could be a strength stat, something like that. But it's good; it'll tell you what you need to roll for that challenge. And so every every success gets rid of a shield from the challenge. And the shields, like I said, there's a, the blank shields, which are really nothing special. You just you get rid of them and they're gone. There could be um, shields that have skulls skulls on them, which uh, red skulls, and those can. T- potentially hurt you so if you have like a health all your characters will have like a health level if you roll a skull on your dice and there's skulls on any of the shields that in the challenge you'll add all the skulls up they'll be like the skulls you rolled and the skulls that are on any of any potential shields and if they are greater than say you have like a, a resistance number or some kind of number that doesn't take care of it you'll potentially take damage from it that's usually what happens. Didn't they call that a repost? It's something? called a repost, yeah. So if you roll the red, red skull, a repost happens, and you could potentially take damage, or something's going to happen to you. Which is why I hate the dice, because we rolled so many skulls. We rolled a lot of skulls, <laughs> yeah. So uh, many skulls. <laughs> <laughs> other um, other symbols that show up are shield symbols, um, which I think can mean that the uh, particular challenge... I'm not sure what happens with the shield, actually. Um, here, it's in the book. The shield, heart shield, oh, it, what happens is, oh, wait, no, there's a special shield. Um, if, if the special shield is in use, it all depends on the scenario. So if there's a shield in the, in, the, in the challenge, then the scenario will tell you what the shield means. So it could mean lots of different things. Uh, there's also one that has a heart. So if you haven't gotten rid of the heart with any successes um, on your first try, then you'll take damage based on the number of hearts that are um, potentially there. There is a time shield, so it looks like a like the time symbol that they use in this game. If you uh, if any of those exist after you've made your your roll, then you'll lose that much time on the uh, time track, and then you'll have to try again. And each time you try, anything that's left over is going to affect you. So um, that's what the different shields are. So what you're trying to do is you roll the number of dice, you subtract shields based on your successes, and and try to get through the challenge. If it's a challenge that locks you in, you have to just keep doing it until you're done. If it doesn't lock you in, you can always give up on the challenge and leave. Um, but then I think it just resets the challenge for anybody else who wants to try it. And usually multiple people can help with the same challenge. That's right. Uh, there's very specific instances where it's one person. But It'll tell you, yeah. It, and it's it, some, it, yeah. The, the shields don't take effect until everyone's resolved the role. Yeah. So if you have multiple people, it makes a challenge A little bit easier, easier. sometimes. Yeah, um, there's times where it'll say, like, you must do it on the first try. And if you don't, then, you know, you'll lose that challenge. Or, or, yeah, either resets or or you lose that challenge and you can't get what it potentially could give you. So, but um, that's what the challenge is. And so everybody will do something in the location. They might find information out. There might be more you have to do at the location. Um, What happens is when you first land at at your starting location, it doesn't take any time. Everybody gets to choose where they go. And look at their first card. Um, after that, each time you want to do something, like either move from one card to another, um, take part in a challenge or, or whatever, it's going to cost you one time. So for one time unit, 
everybody can do something, move, move or whatever. Um, once you're done with the location, you'll look at your map, which will be on the top corner, and say, okay, well, let's, let's move over here now. Let's go check out this location. You'll take all the cards away, put out the new location, and then whoever the time captain is for this particular turn rolls the time die, and it has like one, two, or three symbols on it. Um, so, and you will lose that much time on the time track based on whatever you roll. You'll go to the new location, set up just like before, encounter all the cards, etc., etc. And you'll do this. You'll you'll try to um, try to figure out what's going on. You'll run out of time. You'll go back to the main staging area. Bob will yell at you. Always. always. <laughs> He'll yell at you, you idiots. He'll Even when we <laughs> succeed, he yells at us. Yeah. <laughs> He'll send you back. You'll start again. You'll have a little bit more idea of what's going on. And then you'll go through the scenario until you basically want it. But the time is so limited, right? They yeah, only yeah. let you start with a certain number, and you never have much of a chance to, to explore very much. Before yeah, and it, it really is about trying to figure out where you've wasted time and eliminating yeah. it from your next loop. Yeah, trying through. to save time. Yeah, that's the whole thing is, is where can you cut out things? Like you'll, you might go down rabbit holes where, okay, I found this. Now, if I go here, this will help me here. But then you'll find out, wait, that it's didn't, even though it's all. not important at all. You get yeah. to the end of that and like, well, this is nice, but it, in the end, doesn't help us. But it might. It might. You, you just never because know. you never know. Yeah, it, it's about avoiding the shiny baubles without yep. that don't have any effect. That don't make any res- like how much how much can you ignore in order to get to the end of the scenario? And that's essentially how it is. Um, yeah, and that's and that's essentially how you play time stories. Um, now, based on how you do, like usually depending on how many um, loops it takes you to solve the uh, the particular scenario, um, at the end um, they'll give you a card and you'll and you'll add some things up and they'll say this is your score and this is how well you did. And you'll either, you know you'll do really good or you'll do really crappy or whatever. Um, and they give you a, bit, a different reward based off that score. Yeah, right? so like that you carry forward. Yeah, and this is a little bit of a spoiler, so. If you want to avoid spoilers, um, you might want to jump ahead. And what I'll do is in the show notes, I'll say, this is the spoiler section. Um, jump to this time if you don't want to hear this part. Because there's a little bit of a spoiler here I'm going to talk about. It's not a scenario-specific spoiler. It's just a general game spoiler that I'm just going to mention. So be warned. So that's Skip ahead now. Yeah, skip ahead now. Okay, so the spoiler I'm going to talk about. Um, this game comes with some hidden... Uh, tokens. Um, I found them just by because I, I, they, they sort of I could see them through the plastic of the insert. I was like, "What's this?" So I took the insert out and I found these tokens. I go, "What the hell are these?" They're um, special. What they're called beacons, and what they are is, and you essentially find out about them right away, and so you'll know about them soon enough if you're still listening and you and you didn't know about them and this is your first time playing. But you get these these beacons, and what they are, they're di- they have different symbols on them, and they are kind of covered. They don't they don't talk about the beacons specifically in the book, but they do talk about the symbols. And you'll see, like, um, in in the rule book, there's an area where it talks about different um, icons that um, you just don't encounter anywhere else until you, you get a beacon until you, until you find them. Yeah, <laughs> like you don't know what these are supposed to be. And then you finally you find out about the beacons and you grab one. It's like, oh, that's what these are. Okay, 
in so, iconography. I, I saw that, but I didn't think that's what it was. Okay. Well, that's one of them, and this yep. is one of and them. And temporal units lost. Yeah. And the plus three. Never let Randall do anything. Okay, so I was mis- I was totally <laughs> missing it. It is in the main book, and under iconography, it sort of describes. Yeah, it's in this. Yes. Ooh, and we never. I forgot that saving yeah. was a thing. We never mentioned that. So back to the spoiler part. Uh, <laughs> the beacons, um, they typically will be like a reward that you'll get at the end of a scenario. It'll say that you could take a particular color of beacon. And so you look at these um, these tokens, and they'll have symbols on them. And the main book does does describe them. It's just you don't know what it's describing. You don't really understand that it's talking about these things. But um, what they can do is, like, there's a beacon that will let you immediately immediately eliminate an opponent. So if you're in a, a situation where you don't think you're going to be able to um, defeat something and you want to get by it quick, you could play it and it'll um, get rid of that opponent for you. But they're one shot. So once you've used them, you've lost them, you don't get them on a second loop or anything like that, it's done. There's one that will give you time, which can add time to your loop. If So if you think maybe this is the one that we're going to solve it on, we need a little bit extra time, you could play that beacon and get that extra time. There's one that will give you additional successes um, towards a, a, a roll. Um and I'm not sure. I think that's essentially them. There's also, if you go into Board Game Geek, um, in their um, in their geek store, there's um, a promo you can buy, which gives you some special beacons. Um, but I'm not sure. I can't. Remember, I'm not sure what they're supposed to do for you in a scenario. But that's that's the spoilers. That underneath the insert of this box are some hidden um, tokens that represent these these beacons that you'll eventually get as rewards for a scenario. And the interesting thing about them too is that you don't even have to play them. Oh yeah, you don't need them time, at all. right? You could carry them for like three different Well, they're they're such a valuable resource that it, it there's always a question of do we spend it here? When do is we it, use it? Is yeah. this important enough? And yeah. you, typically in the first loop you're not even you're not considering it. Yeah. You, you you you're resigned probably to the fact that you're going to lose the first loop. So you're just trying to get as much information as you can. So, yeah, you're probably not going to use them on your first loop, but on the second or third loop, it's always like, is this the one that we're going to solve it on? Do we want to use it now? And then once you get to four or five, if you are <laughs> that bad like we were a couple times, then you kind of you're not going to waste them. use it yeah. because you, you you're getting to a point where you have this perfect route almost where yeah. it really depends on your die rolls not coming up triple skulls every time to succeed yeah or triple some... time or something like yeah. that too when you're when you're moving between um locations so um so that's the spoiler so we'll stop talking about those beacons now and welcome back <laughs> after the spoiler um anyways so as we were saying um, you'll go through the loop. You'll, you'll, um, eventually you'll figure it out. And this is where the game can take quite a while sometimes. Like a playthrough, if you're really trying to solve the game in one go, could take you know four, five hours sometimes. Um, I think our quickest one was probably in the three hour range. Three hours, yeah, yeah, which wasn't too bad. But we have had them where it's taken us five to six hours. So they do give you a way that if you want to stop the game and uh, come back to it. Uh, the insert is such that it gives you kind of a way to save the game in progress. It has um, uh, special locations where you can put uh, cards that you've gone through. Um, it'll have like a location for each of your player color, like each of your tokens, like your player um, pieces will go in a special place. 
and any special um, tokens that they have will go in a special resource. Um, it's just, there's a way of saving your game in progress, especially like what how many loops you've done, and you know where your time currently is in the, in the current loop or whatever it is. Um, it's a nice it's nice in theory. Um, what I do find, even we haven't tried saving this game because w- when we get together, we're going to play it. We're going to well, and you want to see the end of it. You want to see the end of it, yeah, which is a great thing for their game and that you you start the story and i i haven't come to a point where i'm like okay no i'm just tired of this let's let's walk away it's, yeah we i want well once i think once. in prophecy of dragons things got a bit heated at yeah. one point <laughs> but um yeah we haven't gotten to the point where we would have said okay let's just save the game and and come back to it so it's it's a neat mechanic and i guess if you if you really want to play the game but you don't have enough time to devote to playing seeing it through it can work for that. Uh, my only complaint, though, is this box, even though it has all this, even if you're not using the save mechanic, you really have to store it. You have to be careful how you store it then. You have to keep it um, flat. You can't put it on its side at all because things will move. No matter how you do it, things will move around. So you you have to keep it flat. You can't jostle it in any way because, yeah, it just isn't designed that tightly, I guess, to... Uh, to avoid any kind of movement of pieces, but otherwise, it's it's really it's a, it's a nice it's a nice um, insert, um, a little flimsy. You know, it could have been maybe a little bit nicer plastic, but not, it's not that big a deal. Um, otherwise, let's see. The spoiler just threw you off. Didn't no, it? I'm just trying to think if there's anything else that we haven't talked about. I think we've essentially done it. Um, each additional scenario you get. Um, will be essentially just a big deck of cards. Um, there's no specific um, rules other than maybe like your um, you'll get a new uh, staging area which will have new instructions for that scenario. But there's no rules um, pamphlet or anything that comes with with each one. Uh, the boxes that the the additional um, scenarios come in are these small square boxes, so they don't really. I guess they they can they can put them you can store them however you want, um, but they're an odd shaped box I guess. A square is an odd shaped box. A small square, like I guess it depends on how you store everything. And like, if you're trying to store it together, they don't fit. Yeah, together. Yeah, because they're like, different sizes. The the main time story box is, is your typical kind of square um, box. You know, the same like majority of games are in that kind of dimension. Whereas these little scenarios are little smaller boxes, so yeah, but that's like any expansion to most games. Well, not necessarily. Like, if um, when Time Looper comes out, um, I've, I've seen one of their scenario when their um, scenario boxes, and it's essentially the same size box as the main box. So they'll just stack together; they'll stay together nicely. Whether or not the extra space in those boxes is, is warranted, it's hard to say. It might be a lot of dead space. I don't know. Even this, typically, like what they have to do. Because these these um, tarot cards, like one complete deck, is fairly uh, fairly thick, so they can't keep it all together. They have to split it up into two decks, and it'll be like deck one of two, deck two of two, and essentially all you're doing is unwrapping them and making one big stack out of them. So I almost think that they could have gone a different route and used maybe boxes that are more like um, uh, like joking hazard or uh, cards against humanity. Cards against humanity. So they could have gone with that style of box where it's like um, all the cards are sort of 
um, stacked together, and then you have a lid that sort of pulls up and have, you know, what I'm saying? I understand what you're saying, but I mean, this is a different kind of game in the sense that you're never going to reuse, you know, the former deck once you've gone through it, oh, right? Oh, I know, yeah. Whereas a lot of those games where they put all the cards in, it's because every time you pull out the game, you're going to, you know, potentially want to use most of those cards. I guess. I guess it doesn't really matter in the long run because maybe you're not even going to hold on to these things. You probably, well, yeah, I you guess might... you're probably storing just the main box and then trading away mm-hmm. Trading away the other scenarios, or... maybe. Yeah, we haven't done that yet. We have all our scenarios still. We're... Pack rats. Because we dream of <laughs> lending them out to friends and letting them try the game for True. free. There's always that chance, too. We might lend it out and have people have, have their own chance at it. Um, yeah. Um, anyway, so that's how the game plays out. So we had a little bit of discussion about it, but we can talk some more about it. Um, I do enjoy this game. It is a, a cooperative experience as opposed to Tragedy Looper where you have one against many. It's We're all working together to solve the game, which is nice. Yeah, and like you said, I think there was only the one time it got, and I mean, we we were. I think that was like an eight-hour session. That was a long, and session. it was like one in the morning, and we were just frustrated from failures. It wasn't really a at each other type no, thing. No. It's just a dispute as to which was the what? best way just to get this done now. Yes, yeah. What was the thing. best route to take? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and that's Prophecy of Dragons. And it's not, we're not saying it's a bad scenario. Oh no, it was good. Scenario. It's a good scenario. It's just. Um, it's a long scenario. It it is really a long scenario, and the it, it just goes to show how these scenarios can be so different. You know, um, well, each time it it's felt like a different game. Yeah, I want to say like it it plays they do introduce, the same. Yeah, they do introduce some new mechanics sometimes too. Yeah, and, and it's hard to like to get into it without giving away spoilers, yeah. and it, it's very important not to do that. So, mm-hmm. but it's like each scenario. It, it immerses you almost in like a different theme movie, and even yeah, if you yeah. don't like that theme, you can still play through it and have fun. Like the first one, it's like a felt like a nineteen twenties or thirties mystery yeah. novel kind in, of in an asylum, in like an, an asylum. insane asylum. Yeah. yeah, and then the Marcy case is your typical zombie survival mm-hmm. type story, which mm-hmm. played very differently. Yep, like very differently. And but, Prophecy of Dragons is weapon. like a fantasy kind of. Um, and and the Marcy case and, and the Prophecy Dragons played similarly in that combat played a slightly higher, yeah, like right. less mystery. Well, no, For probably sure. about the same amount of mystery. But yeah, well, and I know I enjoyed the the initial one a lot more. Um, I think because it was more mystery and there yeah, wasn't like more any puzzle kind of solving it or combat. combat or yeah, yeah. I think there was one instance of combat or something. Right. And it just and yeah. you get to the second one and it was like. All, almost all, all combat. situations, yeah. and or not all, a lot of combat. A lot of combat, and then yeah. then you go back to Under the Mask, which is the fourth one, mm-hmm. and it goes back to a decent mix of there could be combat, there's puzzles to solve, yeah. things to interpret. So each time it's been, it's been a fun experience. Yes, absolutely. And it, it really is about immersing yourself in the story more than it is about playing a board game. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we, and we never know what to expect when we open those packs of cards. You That's know? true. Like, you know, even knowing sort of what the theme is going to be, it never prepares us for all the weird little things we find in there. Well, and you were hesitant to even do the Egyptian one because you didn't like the theme, right? Yeah, Rendell says I was racist against Egyptians. <laughs> I don't know if that's really it, but... Uh, but you didn't like it just wasn't the as, theme. Yeah. Like, it wasn't yeah. appealing to you, but after you played it, was it as fun as the other themes? 
I I would say yeah, I would say it was. I mean, and I wasn't all that excited about. Oh, I'm not supposed to touch the table. It's against the rules, apparently. <laughs> um, yeah, like, and, and, you know, the one that I'm most excited about, I think, is the next one, the one we haven't played. Um, Expedition to Theme-wise. Yeah. Um, so all the ones that we played in the last little bit haven't really been themes that I've been particularly excited about. But it just ends up being so much fun just because we're just, you know, jumping in and, and trying to make choices based on, you know, almost no context here yeah yeah you're trying to figure it out together and that's that's super fun it becomes less about the theme but the theme is still well written you know you're in egypt or you know you're in an insane asylum like it just everything the way the characters in the story interact with you Mm -hmm. just it's well written Mm -hmm. and you can step back from the theme if you want and just enjoy the mystery or you can immerse yourself in it if you really like it and it just each time we've played it's been a slightly different experience and all of them enjoyable whether you're into the theme or not yeah yeah and that's why we can kind of i I can definitely forgive the fact that it's a one playthrough kind of thing like you look at the the price and this is in canadian dollars they're they're about 36 dollars canadian so that's less than 10 dollars a person and we're playing it from anywhere from three to five to six hours Eight hours. Eight hours at once. <laughs> so we're definitely, you know, when you when you think of it in that kind of way, then it, it definitely makes it, um, uh, I think, worthwhile. Definitely. Yeah. Even though it's a one playthrough thing per scenario, you get your value out of it. Yeah. yeah. And what I, I find very interesting when we all play this together, you know, because we're good friends and all of that, but, and couples, and couples sometimes fight. And all <laughs> but, it, but it's interesting to see that, you know, we're all getting into it with the same goal but we don't often have to necessarily fight or or even you know kind of aim to go to the same places like when we go to a location often we we automatically are drawn to a specific area that doesn't really match the one that everybody else wants to do it yeah you kind of figure out what that your companions are gonna tend to move towards and complement each other in the end Mm -hmm starts working out really well that way yeah if i had one criticism for this game it's the balancing mechanic which is the time units right and the it's more of a nitpicky thing for me so i'll be honest with that up front it's not really a huge thing it's just that it is a it rankles me every time it can take more time to move between a room in a location because it takes like a time unit to move from from one card like, to another, like this bed to this bed, right? What kind of thing? Which are in the same room, than it can to move across the entire map, depending on a die roll. True, yeah, because it doesn't. When you're moving locations, um, it doesn't matter where the location is you're going to compared to the location you start at. Like like you said, like if you're if the map represents um, like in in the first one, it's the asylum, so you're representing the building. Um, in the other ones. Um, they like typically represent like a map of, of a city or, or something. something like yeah. that. So you're moving from you know one location in a city to another location in a city, rolling the die, and that's how long it takes. As opposed to when you're in a location, you know each thing you do takes a time unit, but you know it may not. You may you may investigate a whole section in one time unit as opposed to where it takes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, the movement a, can be a bit inconsistent. It, it's a game mechanic, so. Yeah. And it's a necessary game mechanic. Don't get me wrong. Yep. It, it, it's just, 
I wish there was a better way to portray the time as it's being spent in a location as opposed to moving between locations. Right, yeah. But, I mean, I think they've done it as best as you probably can, given that it is the limiting factor. Your time yeah. units is your most valuable resource. Right. It's just that randomness between locations where it can cost you basically nothing, or it can be like a killer of if you roll that three time units, even a couple times, your loop is probably screwed. Yeah. Because yeah. you're just spending too much time moving between and occasionally you'll come across, you know, an interesting scenario um, or opportunity where it will almost, you know, almost try to give you something that looks really shiny and be like, hey, you could you could do this or you could, you know, just spend take this chance it. or, or 10, <laughs> yeah. you know, like something that, you know, is like a crazy amount of time, but it sounds so good. And you're like, do we risk it? I mean, clearly that will just put us way back. But, yeah, they really make you give up a lot sometimes yeah sometimes yeah. you're trying to decide okay well are we going to give up on this loop just so we can find out what something does or <laughs> is it worth it do we want to listen to bob scream at us <laughs> so yeah we know what's behind door number two <laughs> exactly yeah <laughs> so we don't have to come back to it next time mm. yeah okay i think that's um enough discussion on time stories so now we'll go on to our final verdict um so out of the two uh, personally I'm more drawn towards time stories, so that's going to get my vote. I do like both games. I I enjoy Tragedy Looper, and we have a couple of the expansions coming, so we're going to be checking out some more scenarios, and we really hope to get it out to the table a bit more. And that is the beauty of Tragedy Looper is it is replayable. Like maybe maybe a specific scenario is not replayable, but they give you so many scenarios. Like the main box comes with ten different scenarios. Each of these expansions, and the expansions are, are re- really affordable. They're between $20 and $25, I think, something like that, for an expansion that gives you even more scenarios and more characters you can encounter. So Tragedy Looper does have you know, a lot more replayability, but Time Stories, for me, has a lot more theme and, and just feels like it draws you in more. Um, and... And if you want scenarios, yeah, there's like currently there's four scenarios out for time stories, um, but there's more always on the way. But then if you look at the um, the community, uh, the, there's quite a few scenarios that have been developed by um, just people out in the community who made their own scenarios that you can download and print off if you want and, and experience your on your own. So it, that's kind of cool. So it does have some additional things you can do, but. Uh, yeah, Time Stories well, gets my vote. Tragedy Looper does the same thing, right? True. They've yep. in instructions for how to make your own scripts. Yeah, there are instructions in Tragedy Looper for making your own scenarios. And, and probably and easier to make your own scenarios because it's more game mechanic-y than it is story written. That's right, that, and that's the thing. It, 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 well, every scenario has a little bit of a written section that you read through so you understand you know, what's happening. Um, it's still not the same as Time Stories where... You know, it's like time. Each scenario in Time Stories is a multi. Like it's taken somebody like months to build this scenario and to get it to where it is, and, and given all these different hooks and everything within it. So it's like a, an endeavor when when you get a scenario for Time Stories. Mm-hmm. Whereas Tragedy Looper, it's it's you know maybe something in it, you could polish off in an afternoon kind of thing. Someone made. I, I think the, the way I would classify it is Tragedy Looper's is a board game yeah. in essence. Like it, true. Y- yeah. you, you can set it up, you can play quickly through it. 
Time Stories is a story, like it's it's an involved yeah. mystery that takes time. It's not really a board game. It's it's almost like doing a, a murder mystery or something. And that's know? where that the whole um, escape room um, comparison yeah. sort of comes in. It's like you're going in and you're you've got a story and you're trying to determine okay how do I get through this story. Like an escape room, maybe not the best example because those are done in like forty-five minutes. But it's you're invested. You're more invested. You're locked in there. You're trying to figure it out. So it's almost an unfair comparison in this case yeah. because I'd also pick Time Stories as yeah. as a better experience. Right. But Time Loopers is a good board game. Mm-hmm. Like, tragedy. Tra- sorry, Tragedy Loopers <laughs> is is a good board game. Yeah. Like it. If I was comparing it to other board games, it's up there with those board yeah. games. Even it's deduction games, yeah. right? Like where where yeah. Time Stories is an experience, mm-hmm. it's not a board game. So Time Stories for me. Um, and I would like to point out that the only reason that we own these two games <laughs> is that I happen to be a big fan of mystery and deduction. It's true. And my husband, Randall, knows this. And <laughs> so, you know, in his years of... Of not really knowing how to be a, a gift giver, um, he's he's <laughs> often brought me things that he knew I would like, and he succeeded. <laughs> um, and you know, every year after that, he can just get the expansion. You know, and it, <laughs> it, it continues Easy on. Gift. Yeah, Easy that's gift. right. That's right. It's like a strategy. Yeah. Um, and you know, and that is, and I think that we have to give Tragedy Looper more time mm-hmm. and more people. And I think for some people, it will never be a game that they like because deduction is not a mechanic that appeals to mm-hmm. most people. And so, in that, I don't even know if Tragedy Looper would be playable with with our friends that are not, you know, true regular gamers. Right. Um, although I would like to try it, I'd like to see how it is. So I think, I think it. Tragedy Looper for me is more of an experimental game where I'd want to try it in different scenarios with different people, people of different ages. Mm-hmm. I would want to play with it um, just to see, you know, how it comes out, how people react to it. Um, whereas Time Stories, I think, is like an instant win. I don't think I could find a person who wouldn't enjoy the experience. Although maybe I could because it is quite a time <laughs> commitment. It is a time and commitment. And it is very, yeah. you know... Um, the depth is so much deeper. Yes. Like it yeah. is, yeah. it is very involved. Um, you get into the story, yeah, and you have to read out loud. Yeah. I mean, some people don't like that sort of thing. That's true. <laughs> yeah, um, but then also the time stories. You could introduce it to new people, but you wouldn't really be able to play it with. No, them. you never would. Yeah, right? because you've already um, been through all the scenarios, and yeah. that's something too. So as much as I'd love time stories, it in some ways, you know, once we ca- catch up, which will be soon, to the official. Uh, expansions that are out you know unless we go into the world of fan made um, scenarios we pretty much will have no yeah we'll have to wait for the next one to come out yeah the next whatever um, published scenario is going to be to come out and yeah but tragedy looper if you have played through it before and you want to take new people through it it's easy you You just just, be the mastermind you're the mastermind yeah exactly and you make them the players exactly and it was pretty easy to you know, let someone else be the mastermind almost without any, you know, pre-study or anything. Yeah. Well, even in the mastermind's handbook, they give you suggestions on how to play a scenario so that if you're not sure of what you're doing, Mm -hmm. it's like, well, try it this way. Try it this way the first time. Yeah, Yeah. the first time. Or even the second, like I think the one I did 
gave suggestions for how to do it all three times. I didn't follow the advice yeah. at all. Yeah. But it was it was there to give you a helping hand through if you're not used to being the mastermind. Mm-hmm. So right. easy to pick up mm-hmm. for both sides. So, I mean, okay. So I guess I'm going to play it this way. Um, as far as maybe long-term usefulness in my collection, I think that Tragedy Looper would win because mm-hmm. I do think that it's the kind of game that I can hang on to for like 20 years and, you know, and find a way to keep coming back to it. Um, whereas Time Stories, who knows, maybe in like three years, people will lose interest in it and, and there will stop being new content. And True. And you can never go back, right? Yep. And so I I do think that Tragedy Looper maybe has more staying power in that sense. Although I do have more fun when I play Time Stories. So I will give it to Tragedy <laughs> Looper in the sense of, of, I don't know, maybe. And like we said, they're two different kinds of games and yeah. it's really hard to compare them. I would They would both win on different criteria but um but i will go with tragedy looper as the one that i think will come out more okay that's fair um but still that's two votes for time stories time stories wins <laughs> <laughs> but they are both excellent games so yes, they are. you can't you can't go wrong with either game it just depends if whether or not you want a completely cooperative experience or if you want to have the one person against everybody else experience that that's not the only difference, but that is a, a large part of it. Yeah. Yeah. And they are both four-player games. Yes. Um, and sometimes it's hard to get four people together to play a game. Well, yeah, a number of players is always a thing. So if if you if you find yourself always having trouble with um with just getting you know getting four players because time stories well there's mechanics in both of them to drop down to yeah. less players. But I think with Tragedy Looper, as soon as you start dropping down in players. You're almost um, well. One person takes the role of the leader, takes the role of the third person. Almost, yeah. Like it, you can't play it with two players. That's for sure, because uh, one person is the mastermind and the other person is all the players. You get rid of the whole um, thing where can't you don't communicate. Can't communicate because you're talking to yourself. So <laughs> you already know you, you know who you're. It'd be a lot easier for the uh, the players in that scenario. Um, three players. Um, Almost balances it out because whereas the whoever is the um, the leader for that particular day um, plays the second like you still have three sets of cards so they play the second set of cards and it goes back and forth that way and you're still not talking but you have a little bit of an advantage because whoever the leader is is playing essentially two players on that day uh, time stories uh, when it comes down to I don't think I don't know what they do we never really looked at it for less players. They just give you more time, I thought. Um, It it might be, yeah. It might be based on the number of players, how much time you get. Um, So you might get more time. Yeah, playing with two players, um, each player chooses and controls two receptacles. Okay, so so each player is playing two receptacles. So it probably doesn't change too much, really. It's got to be best with four and both. Oh, yeah, yeah, you always want to have four players. Time stories, it, it really is... Like your communication with the four and how mm-hmm. you're interacting and stuff brings a lot of the fun to the table. Or tragedy looper, you're relying on the game mechanics for the fun because you're not allowed to talk to each other. Yeah, yeah. so yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but it's you know it's also people's reaction because you're not allowed to talk to each other that that also creates a lot of the the 
intrigue and the interest in the game too because you're just like oh what is tara gonna do this time you know? <laughs> how are the other two gonna screw it up for me this time <laughs> and yeah. how is jeff gonna save the day by finding the perfect thing to do that we didn't think of at all okay okay i guess my part is probably done now. yeah i guess we're done talking about those games um so jeff and i will go on and just do a little bit of a discussion bye guys Um, so yeah, as far as Imperial Assault goes, um, there hasn't been, since our last podcast, there hasn't been anything new released or talked about really. Fantasy Flight's doing this feast or famine thing yeah. right now. It's either we're giving you everything or we're going to be completely quiet. Yeah. And they've, you know, they've been releasing, um, you know, some previews for other, um, of their properties, but not, uh, currently nothing for Imperial Assault. I don't know if you look on the forums, there's a lot of people, um, you know, just chomping at the bit, waiting for something new to be previewed at least, because you know they did mention they're releasing stuff last time, which was the Heart of the Empire and the few um, blisters that are going to be coming out for that one. But there's been no previews yet, so not much we can talk about there. Um, there's been some talk on the on the um, the forums, and we even talked about this a little bit about. Um, how they're concentrating on uh, their releases and, and, and the time frames that they're sort of playing out on. Like, you know, up till now, it's been mostly, um, with a few exceptions, mostly original, original trilogy. trilogy. Um, they have delved a little bit into, um, like, the Rebels now with Hera. Um, they delved a little bit into the comics with um, BT and Triple Zero. Uh, and what what time frame do the comics take place in? Uh, it's the same time as Rebels, so around the same time pre just pre original trilogy. Yeah, it's like because you're. Well, I haven't read all of them. I've mostly read the Darth Vader right. comics, and that's obviously after Clone Wars because yeah. he's Darth Vader already. Right. So yeah, BT One and Triple Zero are both from the same time era of the. After the prequels, mm -hmm. just about to get into the original trilogy yeah. storyline. So, from the sounds of it, and, and there's been talk on the forums on this, and I think it's been mentioned elsewhere too, I'm not sure, that the designers really don't like the prequel, the, well, no the prequel Jar -Jar. movies. No Jar Jar. No Jar well, and <laughs> you can't blame them. Jar Jar sucked. Um, <laughs> there's no disguising that. And I'm, I'm not a big fan of the prequels either. Like, I, I can watch them. Um, you know, when uh, The Force Awakens came out, I did the whole run-through. I watched the uh, the original trilogy over again. I watched most of the prequels. I, I totally skipped the first one. First one, one. yeah. Um, there's a, there's a what, what do they call it? I, think, I can't remember what they call the, uh, if it's like the marathon viewing or whatever it is. It's, it's a way of ordering them where you watch um, A New Hope, Empire Strikes Back, and then almost like a, a pre, um, we call it a, a prologue kind of thing, where you go back. And you watch the second and it's third. Like how movie. could he be his yeah. father? And then it explains it. It explains it. Then you watch the Anakin stories, skipping Phantom Menace um, and Midichlorians. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then you watch Return of the Jedi. But so, they, they do a disservice to the fans. Yeah. And I don't mean the fans of prequels because I don't think those really exist. I mean, if they, they do, they're the younger people who probably aren't playing this game. Probably not. No, but maybe it's, not. there's characters that. It, that existed in the expanded universe mm -hmm. that maybe they can't do because the expanded universe has been wiped clean so that Disney can bring out new storylines. Right. But it's like characters that now 
still exist because of the prequels like Mace Windu mm-hmm. and uh, well, I don't know their names most of the Jedi names that oh, yeah, are in the stories and stuff but that even yeah. like battle droids and stuff yeah you might not like the movies and how they mm-hmm. acted in the movies but they would be good additions to the game as models yeah and I don't know if it's a, a fact of like because then then the then you're taking like the Empire and and sort of expanding the Empire and so longer just the Empire because then you'd have what the trade federation i guess yeah. on that side because they wouldn't fall into mercenaries would they like no they, that that might be why they're staying away from it because yeah. it, it does muddy up the so far everything's about yeah rebels, it, versus rebels empire. and empire and if you go to prequels then you're not really rebels anymore you're sort of jedi jedi versus trade trade people, federation the and evil trade treaties and and then you got the palpatine who's not an emperor yet he's just a senator and he's doing his stuff I guess it does sort of muddy up the whole. Um, well, even going forward, factions. though, can they go forward then? If that's true, yeah, because when you get into the Force Awakens, you don't have the Empire anymore. You have the the New Order, or whatever they're called. It's still similar enough factions that maybe you could. I mean, there's obviously linear mm-hmm. progression. Yeah, from... there's a bit of, more of a connection between what are they called? The what are they called? The New the Order, First Order, or, or First Order? Yeah, First, first order. order. So the First and the Order Resistance. And the resistance. So you got the resistance rebels. You got the first order empire. So there's a direct connection between those, and it's easier to go forward that way. I guess going back, it's where it gets a bit muddier. I don't know if you want to call it muddier, but you know what I mean. But then they, like I said, they could still bring some of the characters yeah. forward without getting involved in all of that. Well, the ones that are still alive potentially. Yeah, and and so yeah, instead of rebels, you'd have just the Jedi. Um, the Jedi Order that would take the place of the Rebels. You'd have the Trade Federation, I guess, would sort of take place, take well, the place of the but you imper- don't even Imperials. if you don't want to get into the story of the prequels, you can still bring forward battle droids. Yeah, and mm-hmm. they've even in the comic books where they got BT One and Triple Zero. Yeah, they have Vader using battle droids. Hmm. Like he actually really yeah he he gets his own kind of personal army. Okay, of battle droids. Yeah, and it means you can bring those like yeah. they, they exist in this timeline. They're not like huge, massive armies. They're not controlled by stupid droid control ships or anything like right, that. Right. They'd be more independent, something similar to the HKs, but maybe not mm-hmm. as powerful, like more of a frontline trooper droid. Right. Like the, it just, it flesh out some of the keywords that you have for your stuff. Like scum could use the, trooper keyword more and if you mixed mm-hmm. it with droid and brought out more droid cards why not expand it rather than just keep giving everything to hunter smuggler yeah yeah absolutely um and they even brought the battle droids in a bit with rebels too where they go back to that planet and the droids are still functioning there yeah yep. so they, i mean that there's lots of instances where the characters can be brought forward you don't have mm-hmm. to deal with the timeline definitely don't deal with the timeline. yeah yeah keep it in where we are or maybe progress it if that if the novels that they're coming out with expand it to a point after the death of the second death star Mm -hmm. if it's there for a story that can still progress and have this three distinct factions and bring it there Mm -hmm. but it's not necessary just give the people the characters that excite them right because that that's what inspires purchases yep yeah no absolutely yeah so um there's definitely places they can go with it um, you know, without totally ignoring the uh, the pre the prequel universe, 
So I mean, it, we have to accept the fact that it's part of our yeah chronology now, part of our canon. Yeah, is... and, and yes, they sucked. <laughs> yes, it was yeah. the wrong direction, and I mean, why we haven't been getting Star Wars universe movies like they finally decided thirty years on that we can actually have mm-hmm. is beyond me. Yeah. But I mean, something will come of those. I'm sure we're going to get Rogue One characters at some point. Yeah, we got it because that well that in Rogue One still fits within it's in the timeline in the timeline yeah so because it's sort of in between Rebels and and the first yeah. trilogy so it, it fits in it, you, you can easily take all those all those characters and slot them into and the with um, X Wing I know they've already introduced characters from like the the originals from, or from the prequels from the no from like the oh. advanced storyline like the the further away from the original trilogy kind of okay, stuff. okay sure sure okay. and they've have stuff from rebels as well like yeah they have the ghost and all mm-hmm. that kind of stuff no. so yeah the, and i think that one's a little bit easier to introduce stuff in maybe um yeah because it's more of a, it's just a skirmish game yeah. where Whereas imperial assault it, was originally a campaign, a campaign game. game that they put a skirmish aspect into yeah and the skirmish sort of took off more than the campaign did well, no, no, maybe not more, but well, it does get... It's hard to say. We we mostly associate with people that play the skirmish. Yeah. But I think we're skewed in that we look at the campaign as it's horribly unbalanced for the most part. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Like, it, yeah. it just... There's been one campaign that we've run through where it's been close every game. Mm-hmm. And the rest of them, it's just been one-sided Usually matches. Usually one-sided whether, matches. Whether yeah. it's one-sided for the Empire or one-sided for the Rebels, it's just always one-sided yeah yeah no that's true yeah so but bring variety never hurts no in characters and like i said ignore the ignore the stories don't bring us to a campaign where we're on the boo fighting to a gungan city or something no (laughs) one would like that no one wants that. no one wants that (laughs) no no one wants jar jar as a character i'm sure no or as a and if you know someone who does just give him a smack from me yeah (laughs) If you disagree with us, let us know. <laughs> Reach out. Tell us. We can give you a virtual smack as well. <laughs> That's right. Um, yeah. Uh, uh, we don't have a lot going on right now. We um, The store championships are coming up. So um, as of this recording, and this, uh, this is um, uh, June 27th, um, on July 1st, which is Canada Day up here, we're doing our store championships at Mission Fun and Games. Um, so I, I plan on having this up. If, you, if you're listening to this and it, and the episode just came out, we'll be doing our store championships within a few, couple of days because I have, hope to have this out right away here. And um, previously what I've been doing is I've been doing a, usually a live stream of the first table. Uh, I was doing it through uh, a Facebook uh, live stream before. Uh, this time I'm going to try something a little different. I'm setting up the YouTube channel. So I'm setting up a board now gaming YouTube channel. Um, and this will be the first thing that I put up there. So we're going to try live streaming right to YouTube. As long as it doesn't like pause on us like the last Yeah, tournament. last time it, it paused near the end and something got screwed up. So I'm hoping this time around... Well, it's, it stopped right at the final... Like the after we set up for the final match, yeah. it just stopped. It sort of stopped. So we didn't get any of the final match. Yeah, I think we lost most of the final match on that on that one. So uh, hopefully this will work a bit better. Um, we'll, we'll see. So that's uh, that's the plan. I'll, put a, I'll post a link 
um, as soon as we go live, I'll post a link to the uh, the RSS feed, um, so everybody hopefully will see it. Uh, but I'll also I'll play I'll post it everywhere. So it'll be, it's going to be on the website on the RSS feed. It's going to be on our Facebook page. Um, so I'll have that link out there, so that if you want to check out the live um, the live uh, feed for um, for the store championships, please do. Um, I don't know how there won't be much interaction because we'll be busy playing but i will have like the live feed on the main table the first table and we'll try to cycle people through there um as best we can and try to keep it interesting for everybody well i mean it's it, interesting is going to be which mercenary list is everyone running? Yeah, exactly yeah and depends on how many people show up so uh, we had a pretty good turnout for our uh, quarter two um tournament i'm hoping we get another hopefully a decent turnout this time we'll see um, I think we had seven people for that one. So if we get around that or more, that'd be Hopefully great. More. Hopefully more. Always hoping for more. But unless I think until we get to, was it? You have to have at least nine for four rounds, or is it? Uh, I have to double check that. Might be eight. Might be eight. No, mm, maybe. Uh, but I think it's like three rounds up until a certain number of people, and then it goes four rounds after after that um, with uh, potential cuts. So. Um, I think you have to get like 16 people to get a, a cut to top four, maybe. It, with oh, the no. store championship, is it considered a premier where you always do a cut, or is it uh, just a regular tournament where uh, that doesn't a, have to be? That's a good question. Here, let me I'll check that out here. Because there might have to be like a top two cut or something, right? Or a top four cut. I don't know. Yeah, I can't remember our last. Yeah, it's been a while since we had a store championship, and I didn't run that one, so I don't remember. Off the top of my head. I think so. it'll be interesting for us this time because everyone will have had time to adjust or at least have the new IG88 card. Yeah, and, and I some expect of the new to stuff, see a yeah. few of those. And I, I think I was the only one really running multiple models of the new droids that came out. Where you, um, ha- you had BT1. I, I had think, BT1. I didn't have. Um, where I had Chopper, Chopper and BT1. Yeah. And they're very good performers. So. No, they are. They're both excellent models. So, yeah, it should be interesting. Um, let's see here. I'm just trying to find it. Oh, there's Imperial Salt. And I'll be interested to see if IG-88 can perform because I think he's going to fall into the same category as mm-hmm. Luke for me. Like, if you get the right combination of command cards out for him so he gets to activate twice in a round and can shoot four times, he's... Yeah brilliant but if you're not lucky enough to pull off the combination will he just fall flat on his face right because 15 points of health for 12 points is a huge commitment Mm -hmm. and yeah they tried to make him you know well he's better and he is better and he was because he's always getting two attacks and he's always getting movement now and he's always Always rolling three dice yeah but i mean He's always focused, which gives him three dice, where Luke has three dice and can get focused for four, for two. Like, right. Well, yeah. for one, one of his attacks is going to be four, and one's going to be three, typically speaking. Yeah. But they still, with the Hunter cards, when you can take them out in two shots from mm-hmm. a elite weak way, you're kind of, well, that's 12 points down the drain if you make one positioning mistake or get caught out with a squad swarm being played or something right yeah and hoping that you're going to have son of skywalker or blaze of glory so that they can hit exceptionally hard and get the safety yeah yeah 
So it always seems like you have that card. <laughs> when I play Luke, yeah, because yeah. you have to build your deck around it. I know. Your, your command cards, when you play Luke, have to be completely focused around pulling that card. You put Devotion in. You put Planning in. You put Son of Skywalker in. Mm-hmm. And you have such a high chance of seeing it first round because it's so necessary to have a chance of success. Yeah. yeah. If Luke doesn't get it till turn three, you've lost probably. True. Because for 12 um, points, he's most of your attack. Yep. No, he absolutely is. Yeah. Uh, okay, here we go. Let's see. Uh, we are in the skirmish tournament rules here. What do they consider what here? Tournament structures. Basic structure. Basic structure is used for store championships. Okay. So, so it is basic. So it it's is. just a we'll we'll need like sixteen people to do a cut, I think. To get a cut. Yeah. So it's um four to eight is three rounds, nine to sixteen is four rounds, and then yeah, once you hit seventeen, that's when you uh get a, a cut to top four. So okay. So I, I doubt we'll have a cut. Yeah, I doubt we'll have a cut either. Whether, it's just whether or not we have four rounds. So it's whether or not we break eight people. Um so more more than likely it'll be a three round tournament, but there's always a chance that we might might get well there's potential we have people coming from down south yeah there was there was some interest um from one of the uh it might be hard we know from calgary it's hard with it being canada day and being 150 like whether or not people are going to participate and stuff or if they're going to come to this because they have the time yeah so it's kind of a it could go either way for us it's one of those areas that how 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 patriotic are these people <laughs> like myself like yeah I, I you know i love living in canada i i do appreciate that it's canada's 150 even though technically it's not <laughs> they're they're promoting this whole canada 150 even though it's not really canada's 150 i don't know what what's going on but anyways um i don't celebrate a lot on canada day anyways i'd rather be doing something like this i'd rather have a you know go to a tournament i'd you know play some games that, that's where I get my enjoyment out of the social interaction, doing this kind of stuff. Um, I don't drink a lot. You don't drink at all. We uh, so you know the whole partying thing is yeah, yeah whatever. Just a bunch of people getting stupid. Um, so uh, this is this is more my speed. So like I said, it, it's more of a matter of how many people will be on that same wavelength, I guess. Mm-hmm. Or even if they have young kids that are participating in something, or you that know, all like, comes down to yeah, yeah. whether or not they are, they have families and if the families have plans like a picnic or something like yeah. that for Canada Day. Yeah, so it, it's hard to know how it will impact. I'm hoping it'll yeah. be a positive impact, but I'm hoping so too. It's a long weekend, so that, more time. That, that gives people more time, and, and so it's like the Saturday, and they still have two days off for us, which is nice afterwards. You know, it's a little bit easier to get I think people out for something in that situation as opposed to. You know, when it's just a regular weekend and and you're you're almost devoting most of a day to a tournament like this, yeah. So, yeah, so that's going to be on on Saturday, July first. Um, so, look for our feed on that. Um, I don't think we have much else to talk about for Imperial Assault at the moment. Um, Arcadia Quest. We actually because Drew's been off. I'm assuming he's still somewhere up in Alaska. He took off in his motorcycle. We haven't heard from him since. <laughs> um, so while we're, while he's been away, we decided, well, we haven't finished our Infernal um, campaign yet, but I did pick up the the original Arcadia Quest box. So we figured, okay, let's get a, another campaign going of that. So Jeff, myself, uh, Jeff's son, Marcus, and, and our friend um, Scott 
um, all got together and we started the standard Arcadia Quest campaign. Um, so we've we've played a couple scenarios on that. Um, luckily, I've won both. Yay! <laughs> and that doesn't happen a lot, so I'm, it was it was cool for me. Um, but now now Jeff's had a chance to see the difference between Inferno um, and the standard Arcadia Quest. So what do you what are your thoughts on that? Balance issues remain, mm-hmm. but I I like some of the added mechanics of Inferno. I haven't mm-hmm. I haven't quite come to a a, a, a conclusion a yet. conclusion yeah. of because the elimination of damnation when you when you first start playing because like, we started with Inferno yeah so yeah. I got used to damnation and it it was a risk versus reward type of mm-hmm. mechanic that isn't in Inferno or sorry it in, uh, in, in the, the base game yeah and. It was a little hard to take at first, almost like right. knowing that you couldn't boost stuff at, at a small cost. Or, right, yeah, having that, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so like I said, it, it will take a a more in depth mm-hmm. playthrough because we've only done two of the scenarios. We've only done the first two scenarios, yeah. But yeah. It, the original game suffers the same as Inferno in that their rewards are too much to. Like on balance, mm-hmm. everyone else is playing catch up. They if can you don't be. complete yeah. the quests, and because they limit who can complete the quests, and it's really easy to kill a character and then complete a player versus environment quest to make it so that no one can do stuff. It just it quickly balloons, and then their purchasing in between doesn't do enough to remedy that imbalance because right. typically if you're winning a scenario you're getting you're the one with all the gold. gold yeah you have more gold than everyone else and yeah. everyone else has to take a strategy almost of okay hopefully he doesn't get the right cards in the draw for yeah. buying equipment and we'll just do a point denial thing mm-hmm. where he can't buy the good stuff but i mean you're at the same time trying to hopefully get stuff get stuff that's going to help you yeah so there's a lot of random elements i, I would have preferred almost a like a buy list instead right. of a random draw of cards like these are available because it would allow you to at least focus on boosting a character if you're mm-hmm. on the lower end of power yeah. to kind of it's like okay the thing that's kicking my butt has like 10 armor on it or something and i right. just can't hurt it so maybe there's a spell that'll help me so i'll focus on a caster type right to ch- kind of boost my mm-hmm. but the way the game runs now because everything's random it it really depends on your draw of what characters you get in the beginning mm-hmm. and what, because we're using pets again, mm-hmm. it, it, like what pet pets you usefulness get. Yeah. isn't balanced between pet to pet. It, or it might be exceptionally useful if you have a certain character, but without that to play character. Off that pet. Yeah. yeah. So I, that, I think when, in the first one in Inferno, we were doing pets totally wrong. Um, yeah, so but, in this one, we were doing pets right. And I think the pets have definitely gone up in usefulness. In, exactly. Like in the first one, it's like, okay, do I move my pet? We were only moving, we were using the pet as if we were using a, a character. So we either choose to move a character or move a pet. Now we realized, oh, wait, we're supposed to be, every time a character moves, you could move a pet. So it almost overbalances them because mm-hmm. it gives you the ability to like open makes doors. Makes them a, a lot and... more useful because they can open doors. Um, it does well, make or more importantly, more closed doors and closed doors because yep. there's those doors that you can flip shut so that your hero can then move past without getting a guard reaction against. without triggering guard. Yeah, or like in one scenario where I was trying to figure out what I should do with a particular character I had, 
And because I could move my pet and open the door, it allowed him, it was the frog. He's actually from Masmora, um, uh, Prince Grinois or something like that. Or I can't remember what, what his name is exactly. But he has the ability to jump over blocked spaces. And so because I could move a pet through a blocked space, because pets don't take up space, and open a door, he was able to jump over a block space and get right in that door, which allowed me to finish a, a quest. A quest, yeah. yeah. So, it, it, yeah, I, I guess in some ways they can overbalance things. Um, but now that they're using them properly, yeah, their usefulness has gone way up. But it's yeah. just like even the, the character's usefulness from one mm-hmm. to the other. There's some abilities. If, if you sat down four people who were very experienced with the game and the mechanics, yeah. I bet you would see certain characters just never make it to the table because it, it just looking through them after I've played yeah. the, like, I think we're up to five or six scenarios we've played through between the two campaigns. Pretty much, pretty close, yeah. It, it's like there's certain characters that I look at and I'm like, I don't see this ever being a good character. Mm-hmm. And having more health as compared to armor, it's kind of... I'd rather have the armor now at this point. Although in yeah. Inferno, there's the spell that makes it so your armor counts against you. There's nothing you can do about yeah, that. The, the searing spell or whatever, where every defense you roll is a hit. Yeah. And it's like, oh. <laughs> like, it's just yeah. a your dead card. Yes. But again, yeah. it because it's a luck of the draw, only mm-hmm. certain people get that card. But And it's almost a balancing card because without it, some people get so much armor that they can never be killed. Yeah, but if you look at our Inferno campaign, who has the card? The two people who also have the most armor. No, I have the card, and I don't have the most armor. Oh, so James James, and you have... I thought you and yeah. Drew had it, and Drew had a lot of armor. Oh, well, I'm not sure who the other... I'm not sure who the other person who has has that card, but I know I have the card. Yeah, James I, has the other one. Yeah, and he has armor too, doesn't he? Yeah. Lots. Yeah. He has lots. My guys have none, essentially. <laughs> yeah. Which works well, because that card doesn't hurt me, but they die from everything else. But they, so. yeah, they just get... You know, they look at them bad, and they, and they die. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, yeah, no, the game, yeah, it does have some balance issues. Uh, it's it's such a lovely theme. Mm-hmm. Like, the, the miniatures are good. The idea behind it is good. It just, whoever came up with the rewards went overboard. Mm-hmm. And I would have liked to see the in-between maintenance be a little, a little less luck-based and a little yeah. more, almost boost up the people who are losing mm-hmm. if you are giving away such powerful gifts for the people who are succeeding right, right. yeah instead it's a double hit if you know you're going to lose you basically have to just abandon everything and just try and get as much money as you can and hope you draw the right card true true and and it doesn't feel good as no. a player to be like okay i give up mm-hmm. i'm just gonna try and make money and, and even though even if you are running behind it's not impossible to win a scenario. No. Because um, that even happened in, in Inferno. Um, I hadn't been winning any scenarios, and I won, I think, our last one. But then the question is, is did you truly win the scenario? Because mm. the one time I won in the scenario, I mm. didn't feel like I'd won it. I had pulled out a win by completing a title quest that wasn't difficult and killing right. two people, but I didn't get any rewards. And well, I didn't have true. enough There's... money to boost my character. So I yeah. won the scenario, but I didn't really win the scenario because other people came out of it more powerful. I'm trying to, I don't remember how I, uh, 
Wow, I can't finish that one. Did I get a, a reward or did I just get a title? It might have been I a I think title, you got the title one. But I don't remember how hard the title was. Because I think you and James both had a title in the Inferno one, the last one we did. Right. Uh, no, well, you and James, I think in Inferno, both had titles. You had the ones... No, the, but I'm talking about the last. I, I had a title from our first scenario that we did because I did the gatekeeper one. And then James got one in the second one, and he picked a, his mm-hmm. second or a third scenario based off of that. And then in our last scenario, both you and James got... We we got the title. Got but, the title. Um, but who, from the previous one... Because uh, there was that one title that let you guys put your tokens on the doors. Yes. And I think you had that, yeah. didn't you? Both, yeah, you both and, James and I had yeah. that one. And that was a bit of a pain, that one. Because <laughs> it made you exhaust everything when you went through that door. Yes. Yeah. Except that it never paid off for me because I was always blocked from getting in there. Yeah, that was the thing we were blocking. We were that, doing a pretty good job. That was probably the most frustrating scenario yeah. I've been through because yeah. I could not move. Yeah. Um, whereas now with the main Arcadia quest... We've done an easy one and a medium one, I think. Um, and the one, the second one that I, I won where I was able to use my pet to open that door, that was a bit of a tough one too because the portals, yeah, there's only one portal that was in the area that had the rewards and it was always blocked. And it quickly filled up with creatures. It quickly filled up with creatures and it was always blocked and there was a, a generator in there and yeah. So that one was a bit tough. So we'll have to see what the next one's like um, when we can get a chance to play, uh, continue on playing. Like I said, with with more experience with the game. Yep. And maybe, well, you couldn't do just a free character choosing because the same characters I'm almost confident would always come out because there's such a... There is a... That's why the drafting gives you a bit more selection, especially when you have so many characters. Um, doing the draft, you know, doing some random characters to start with, and then drafting from there. It, it'll you'll get more characters being seen. Whether or not they get chosen, it's it's hard to say. Yeah, and it's really hard to form a when you don't know what's in everybody's hand. It's really hard to form a strategy until you you have to you know pick something and then pass on and then see what comes your way. And then you yeah. have to get lucky in where your deployment is because if you have a specific type of play style yeah. and you get stuck in a spot where it's going to be a grind through and you say have a movement based where you want to like just kind of truck through everything mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. avoid it, but you get stuck in a corner where it's not possible. Uh, well, I think they're fairly good at keeping it somewhat balanced. Like each map, usually the the starting areas have something similar you know, around them, like you'll you'll run into similar yeah, stuff. Yeah, the, the usual, you step out the door mm-hmm. and there's a certain blocker. Right. It, it, that's been the same. But once you're past that blocker, it comes down to who has the quickest access to the right portal. Right. Or in some of them, it was where is the objective that you want to complete and who has the quickest access to the player versus environment quest true true yeah it, it depends on those extra quests and or and even uh the last one we did the setup you had you and scott on opposite corners yeah and open doors in between right so as soon as you guys yep. open your doors if you had ranged attacks you could hit each other which you, you actually did hit mm-hmm. scott with a ranged attack and kill one of his guys yeah where 
Marcus and I started, it was blocked because of creatures. To there was start. creatures in between you. That's so, true. And yep. and there was no way we could reach a portal where there was only one guy in the way of you guys reaching a portal to get to the main area. We had to slog our way through, through in a fight. To the main area, yeah. And you two had a free range just to get right in. Yeah. And start beating on each other as well. True. But yep. No, yeah, that's true. It's like I was stuck in my corner the entire game because mm-hmm. I had one player blocking me to the north and then monsters and another player blocking me that way mm-hmm. where you two could ignore the players south of you and just go to the middle yeah. and do the objectives. And 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 yeah, port in and the first one to port in and yeah. get in there and yeah. And well, and admittedly it was your character again going to character balance. Your yeah. character allowed you to avoid the monsters to do the objective true yeah. so in a different character there with the same scenario you wouldn't have been able to do what you did no no he in would have had to he would have had to grind through right yeah which depending on the character you have dictates or, how you play it how, yeah. how, how it is how easy it is true which is uh, i mean you want that you want different yep. abilities it's just like i said some of the characters just seem to have no usefulness yeah compared to others yeah and rerolls, rerolls, oh, rerolls are so, are so good. king in the beginning. I had a couple none. people who had rerolls, and it made a big difference. And well, one, it was one the of pets. my pets too. Yeah, it, and that's where like the pets' usefulness comes in. Is some pets are just that. There's a couple that stand out to me through what we've played. We've had the turtle, mm-hmm. which Gets the defense. amount of defense dice yep. was crazy. Uh, there's. Was it the cat that was giving you defense yeah, dice? Meow. Meow, the cat. She gives me re-rolls. Yeah, and she gave she gives re-rolls, which was just brutally hard to deal with as mm-hmm. a first and second scenario. Yeah. Uh, there's the one that, did, like, removes defense dice from... Oh, yeah. And then the, I got that one, appen- didn't I? Yeah, from your opponent. The ferret? No. No, I, I think you no, got... No, you the, got the ferret. I forget. Yeah. I'm trying but, to remember who has the ferret. They, and then there's the, the ones. The monkey. Fling poo. Yeah. <laughs> he flings his he poo. He flings his poo. And he yeah. gets rid of defense dice. And yeah. then there's the ones that it, they sound good, but mm-hmm. in practice they just get left behind because you don't have yeah. much of a use for them once you get into the thick of things. Like I have uh, the, the guy that I forget which one it is, so I, I can't say which pet it was, but mm-hmm. it allowed me to move through an area i can move into his spot and out of his spot without triggering a guard reaction or something like that and then i think marcus had one where he could move in and out of the spot with no with no movement cost cost, which is a huge it's a huge benefit where mine is in the beginning can be useful to skip me through something if there's nothing blocking Mm -hmm. but after that it's because you have to, you can't move your pet in coordination with you. It has to be move before, or move after. That's right. Yeah. So you get a free movement on a turn without triggering guard. Mm-hmm. That is taken care of by armor eventually. Because right. who cares if they're rolling three attack dice against you if you have ten armor? Yeah, and that's and an exaggeration of ten armor because I think most of the time it's around five, six once you get good armor. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, the the pets. Again, they just there's a lot of imbalance. It there. can be, um, and the nice thing is you can change your pets out, but you have to be the one to defeat the pet. So, with the pets, yeah, there's a number of pets that wild pets that get scattered around the board, and if somebody defeats a, one of those pets, they have the option of capturing it and putting it into their pet supply, 
So you you do have an ability to change out a pet if you find that he's really useless and you can get somebody else who's better. But yeah, it's only one person per scenario is going to have that ability. So, and only I think out of the two scenarios, yeah, I've picked up a second pet, and I think I you, have you picked up yeah. a second pet, yeah. So there's still Scott and Marcus who have the potential to get a second pet, but and it's the kind of game where it's a lot of denial, like you because everybody's against each other. Well, and you're trying to like, okay, well, if I screw this, if I get this pet out of here, don't want to get can the get more experience you get to, the more it becomes about killing people as quick as possible. Yeah. I mean, it feels like when you first get into it that you should be looking at the player versus environment aspect and trying to complete that as your primary focus. But if you focus on that, you're probably losing. Right, because you're not going to... You're going to expose... Well, you're going to also expose yourself and probably take damage at some point so someone else can swoop in and kill you. And then probably get the scenario at the same time. And if I focus on killing a creature that's in my way, if I kill it, then my enemy gets to activate... And go through me to, and, and to through steal that. the objective, <laughs> yeah, so stuff it, like that. <laughs> like it's it's a very mercenary type mm-hmm. game, and I think I'd prefer it to be a little more co-op. And I, there is ways to play it that way, if I remember correctly, or um, is that just the other game? That might be the, you might be thinking of Masmora, Masmora. which is the the little dungeon crawl, which can have a does have a cooperative yeah. playthrough. And and this one, when you get to the dragons, um, there's a cooperative aspect to the dragons. Uh, but yeah, so. It would be interesting if they did come out with a more cooperative way of playing this game. Uh, I would, I'd be kind of curious to see I, how that would I change I also things. think that over time, this game could improve yep. with the aspect that you get the tiles. Mm-hmm. You, you can do whatever you, you want, can do really. whatever yeah. you want. You could create your own scenarios. Mm-hmm. Like It could become a dungeon crawler type game like Masmora with the different tiles and different... You know, like use it like you have a, it's almost a role-playing yeah, game, Yeah, you have right? all the different creatures you could use. You have all their stats. and So I'm know. not enjoying the balance of the current comes with the game mm-hmm. campaign, but I, I still love the miniatures and the, the theme of it. Like it still, yeah. yeah, it's still a good concept. It's just, they really needed to dial back what they <laughs> gave out as, as rewards. Just, yeah, it baffles me in game design, especially from a company like cool mini or not that it, they put out enough of these types of games that, mm-hmm. Well, maybe not exactly like this, but they put enough board games out there mm-hmm. that you would expect a slightly better balance to yeah. it. Yeah, and and I know I've only ever played it a few times, and there was that Super Dungeon Explorer, which yeah, was was more of the. But then that was like one against many again, where one person is sort of like the dungeon master, the dungeon master, type, yeah, kind of thing, and everybody controller. else are the the characters sort of going through the uh, the adventure. Um, I like yeah. this better than that. Yeah, I I, I do too. Um, it'd just be nice if they could find a way to, yeah, maybe give you a, an optional way of playing it a little differently. Yeah. Well, like I said, if they give you the, the resources, you could, yep. eventually you'll see people creating their own scenarios, I'm and sure. I wouldn't be surprised if there's if out there now. Out there. I just haven't even looked. Yeah. I never really thought to look for something oh, like you, that. You so. want to play through what you're, yeah. you get first. Yeah, go through the different campaigns, because you've got a lot of campaigns. you got a campaign in the main box, you get a campaign in Inferno. Pets has its own little mini campaign, and then you know some of their little other expansions have mini campaigns as well. So you get you get a lot of you know you, you buy you spend this kind of money you, you get a lot of playthrough out of it. Yeah, that's true. Okay, well um, that's a little bit of our Cadia Quest talk. So I think we're we're done for this episode. Uh, thanks for listening. Um, make sure to follow us on our website at www.board b o a r d 
boardnowgaming.com. Uh, Facebook, it's slash boardnowgaming. Uh, so we're on there, and you know, follow us on there. Um, we're on Twitter. Um, probably don't use it enough, but you know, it's there. <laughs> uh, you can find us on iTunes and Google Play. Um, is a link to our guild, our guild on Board Game Geek. Where we, you know, post all of our shows and our notes and everything, and and you know, if you want to start a discussion with us, that's a good place to go. Um, but always, you go to the website and um, even send us an email through the website um, to reach out and you know, let us know um, what are your thoughts on on time stories or tragedy looper. You know, did you have a preference that um, didn't agree with us, or um, is there something you don't you think we missed that you know, we should have talked about? Or are you confused why it takes us five or six loops? And yeah, five or six loops. <laughs> we oh, get it through the, the first time. How could it take you five or six loops, you idiots? Bob <laughs> loves us. <laughs> Bob never yells at us. <laughs> yeah, well, fine. <laughs> but, uh, you know, reach out. Let us know. It'd be nice to hear from you. Um, Imperial Assault talk, too. You know, just, you know, we'd like to hear from you on Imperial Assault. And um, and we get some discussions going that way. Uh, so reach out if you want, and, and that'd be great. But um, anyways... Uh, until next time, uh, keep on gaming. Board now. Searching the home